I uh, am so grateful that Dr. Mercer has asked me to do this. Tim, thank you for the music and all the musicians and what you've, what you've done for us today. Let's just thank them again. Would you do that? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Um, and I was glad to stand a moment ago. I served during the Vietnam era as an officer in the United States Army, and I was glad to stand with the others and, and, and have served you in, that, in the matter of serving our country. In this, in this day of, uh, in this weekend of national celebration of freedom, we can truly say of our nation, God shed his grace on thee. And what we need to understand today is that we who have received grace need to be willing and ready to share that grace with others. I want to tell a story today. In the, in the nation of Israel, at a time of great grace from God, King David of Israel showed grace towards someone who was in great need. And uh, I want to tell you, that's our story for today. And it pictures the real story of the whole scriptures. It pictures the story of the gospel. Now, the title I have today is A Deal for the Ages. A Deal for the Ages. Now, I thought about calling it the art of the deal, but I heard that had been taken already. Uh, so we'll just go with for a deal for the ages. But, it, but even more than a deal, it's a, it's, a, it's a covenant. And even more than a covenant, it's a covenant of love and grace. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11, the Scripture says, Now all these things happened to them, referring to Israel, are examples, and they are written down for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. If you have your copy of the Scriptures, you may turn to 1 Samuel chapter 18. 1 Samuel chapter 18, as I want to just first say real quickly, the story of the covenant, the story of the covenant in 1 Samuel Chapter 18, I'll read just the first three verses. Now, when he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Saul took him that day and would not let him go home to his father's house anymore. Then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. A deal, a covenant, a testament, if you will, is another word for it. But even more than that, it was a, it was a blood covenant we're going to see here in a moment. I believe the most significant concept in all the Bible is that of the blood covenant. You see, all the blessings, all the promises that we receive are, are covenant blessings. King David said it this way in Psalm 25, verse 14, The secret of the Lord is with those who fear him, and he will show them his covenant. If you look back at verse 3, when it says Jonathan and David made a covenant, there's an unusual Hebrew word there, karut, and it literally means to cut, to cut a covenant. Therefore, we're talking about the shedding of blood. In Genesis chapter 15, God made a covenant with Abraham, and there were sacrificial animals there, and the Bible says that the presence of the Lord passed through the halves of the animals there to, to seal that covenant. And in ancient times, sometimes they sealed the covenant this way. The two parties would make a cut on their wrist and mingle their blood to say this covenant is real, that I'm all in. And we believe that's the kind of covenant that David and Jonathan entered into here. But regardless of how they did it, we know that there was bloodshed. It was a covenant that was cut. Now, there's a word that comes out of covenant. It's a common word for us today, but it meant something more in this context. 
it's the word friends. When you cut a covenant with someone, it meant that you were friends forever. Now, I'm not talking about friends like on Facebook where you can defriend them, where you can unfriend them. This was a, this was a, a permanent, had an eternality to it. Abraham was called, because of the covenant, the friend of God. Jesus is called the, the friend of sinners, and it's for keeps. If you look at verse 4 in our, in our scripture, it gives an idea of some of what it meant. After they cut the covenant, Jonathan took, from, took off the robe that was on him and gave it to David with his armor, even to his sword and his bow and his belt. And what that symbolized is Jonathan was saying to David, and David was receiving this from Jonathan, he was saying, this robe that I'm giving you, it means that my resources are at your disposal. This robe means that my standing in this kingdom is now shared with you. The bow and the belt and the armor means that my protection is offered to you. Your friends are my friends. Your blessings are my blessings. Your battles are my battles. My prayer today, my sincere prayer today for you is that you would make sure that you have fully, permanently entered into the eternal covenant that God offers in grace. Not just joined a church, not just been religious, not just uh, somehow turned over a new leaf for a while, but fully entered in the covenant of the grace of God. Now, I want to give you the backstory to this. David had been anointed as the next king of Israel. But he wasn't king yet because Saul was still on the throne. David wasn't in the line of Saul's uh, as one of his sons, so this was unusual. But David did something that you perhaps have heard of because this, this parlance is still used today. Uh, David and Goliath. David killed this giant named Goliath. And because of that, David became very famous, even though he was probably just an older teenager when it happened. And, and they began to make up pop songs about David. And David became more popular than Saul. And Saul became very jealous of David. This is what's happening all during this time. And so Saul is, is jealous of David, and he's beginning to rally his supporters about that. Now, can you imagine that? An outgoing leader and his supporters didn't like the new guy that was coming in. That wouldn't happen in America, would it? <laughs> but that's what was happening here. But it got worse than that because Saul announces that he wants David killed. Later, Saul and Jonathan actually are killed in battle, and David does become king. And when he became king, a panic spread throughout Israel because they thought, wow, we, we sided with Saul, and now Saul is gone, and David is king, and what's going to happen to us? And so there was this blind panic that David was going to get rid of the land, rid the land of Saul and all of his people. Just get rid of them. But something marvelous happened. And it's the very heart of our story today. And it happened because of the covenant that David made with Jonathan. So secondly, I want us to look at the sharing of the covenant. The sharing of the covenant. How did David, what did David do with this, with this great covenant? And I'm in 2 Samuel chapter 9 right now because this is about 20 years later in the sharing of the covenant. Now David said, is there still anyone who is left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? That I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake. The Hebrew word there for kindness is 
It's got a silent H on the front of it, but it's pronounced kesed. And it's, it's the richest word in all of the scriptures, I believe. It means covenant faithfulness. It, it's so rich, it's, it's hard to define. It covers almost everything uh, that you could put at it about God. Covenant faithfulness, love, mercy, grace. Sometimes in your Bibles it's translated merciful kindness. Sometimes it's translated loving kindness. But that's the word here. He said, he said is there anyone left of the house of Saul, of the former regime, that I can show this loving covenant kindness because of Jonathan's sake, because of the covenant that he made. Later, King David wrote in Psalm 103, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in mercy. And we're all here today because of the mercy of God. One of the churches in our Seminole Baptist Association, I picked up this phrase from them on Sunday mornings. They're going to be saying it this morning. When someone offers the prayer, they'll say this. They say, Lord, thank you for making death behave last night. And we're here to worship you. Because it is by the mercies of God that are new every morning that we are here. So David makes this call, and then a special servant named Ziba comes. And in verse 3, he repeats it. He said, the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul to whom I may show the kindness of God? And Ziba said to the king, There is still one son of Jonathan who is lame in his feet. Now I want to introduce you to a word that might be new to some of you. Maybe not. It's an unusual word. It's the word Mephibosheth, the word Mephibosheth. It's even hard to say. I've practiced up on it just for this occasion. But uh, if someone came up to you and says, uh, do you know about Mephibosheth? You might say, uh, well, I don't know, but it sounds like you ought to see a doctor about that. I mean, it, 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 it's such an unusual word. But uh, he, he's actually the second Mephibosheth. He had an uncle that was the, the same name. But here's why he was lame in his feet, as Ziba said. He's, the one that's left is, is this Mephibosheth. He's lame in his feet. When, when, the, when the panic struck in Israel, and they thought they were all going to be slaughtered because they had stood so supporting, uh, strong in support of King Saul, who turned out to be a bad king, there was a nurse, and she scooped up little Mephibosheth in, in her arms, and she was in panic running out of the house, and she tripped and fell, and she fell on the baby's feet. And it crippled, and it broke his feet, and he was for the rest of his life crippled in both of his feet because she fell on him. Now I want to pick up the story in verse 4, how this kindness is shown. So when he said, there's one that's lame in his feet, the king said to him, where is he? And Ziba said to the king, indeed, he is in the house of Machir and the son of Emilio in Lodabar. Then the king, then king David sent and brought him out of the house of Machir, the son of Emil, from Lodabar. Now watch this. Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, had come to David, he fell on his face and prostrated himself. Then David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, here is your servant. Now his name is an interesting name. Besides being unusual, he has a name and a nickname in the Bible. Mephibosheth means one who destroys shame. And then his nickname was Baal, means he contends with Baal. And Baal was a false god and, a, and therefore another name for the devil. But he's stuck in a place called Lodabar, which 
any way you describe it, it's bad. It's the place of no provision, the place of no pasture. It means literally means the backside of the desert where there is nothing, where there is nothing. So he can't very well destroy shame and contend with the devil when he's in a place like that because, listen to me, he could not live up to his potential or his names because he was outside of the covenant of grace and faithfulness. And as long as he was there, that's how it was going to be. But in verse 7 and 8, David said to him, Do not fear, because that's how he'd been living. For I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan, your father's sake. Again, because of the covenant, I'm going to show you this kindness. And I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your grandfather, and you shall eat bread at my table continually. Then he bowed himself and said, What is your servant? that you should look upon such a dead dog as I. He lived his whole life out on the backside of the desert, the place of no provision, in fear of David, thinking all David wants to do is kill me. And lo and behold, now he finds out all David wants to do is bless me. He had been living in lies. And y'all, this is, this is what Satan tries to do to every one of us. He tries to get us to believe lies about God. If he can't get you to believe an out-and-out falsehood, he just wants to spin the truth a little bit, like he did in the Garden of Eden in Genesis 3 when he said to Adam and Eve, did God really say that? And he, and he begins to cast doubt on the Word of God and the, the veracity of God and the truth of God. So you, Dave, the devil wants us to say, you can't really trust God. He's not really as good as you think. He's out to get you. He wants to kill all your fun. If you let him run your life, he'll ruin your life. That is the, that is the lies that Satan wants to tell about God. But Mephibosheth, in his humility, turned his fear of David into a receptivity of the faithfulness and goodness of that covenant. Now, there are a lot of parallels here, even in the very wording that God gives us here. Mephibosheth was crippled by a fall. And you and I have been crippled by the fall into sin of Adam and Eve. And every one of us have been born into a condition known as a sinful condition. And because of that sinful condition, we commit sins. So it's not just our sins that need to be forgiven. Our sinful condition needs to be dealt with through the love and grace of God. Also, he was destined to be heir to a throne, to, be a, uh, to live as a child of the king. And we are destined to be children of the king of heaven. But that's been derailed by the fall. And here was Mephibosheth living in fear and falsehood. And the Bible says of us, like he was in a place of death and a place of no hope and a place of no pasture, we too are in that place because the Bible says the wages of sin is death, a spiritual death on the on the inside. And you know what David's saying to him? If you'll choose to stay, I'll treat you like a son with grace and kindness and faithfulness. And I'll do it because of the covenant, the blood covenant that I made. Imagine this. One day, one day he's in the desert and the next day it doesn't even matter about his crippled feet because his feet are under the king's table, covered by the king's tablecloth, and none of that matters because he is now living his destiny. He is now living as a child of the king. And some, some, some of you today, 
I, I don't know your heart, but I know, I know people. And you're here today, and while we're celebrating the goodness of God on this land and the blessings of God on this land, you, you, you're, you're kind of in and you're kind of out because you're in the land of blessing, which certainly our country has been blessed in many ways, and we want to honor the Lord in those blessings. But you're personally, though, still on the outside. You're fearful about your future. You fear that your sins may actually catch up to you and become known. Your fear of missing heaven, crippled by sin. I want to encourage you today to step out of that and into the covenant grace and mercy of God. I don't, let me use a little imagination here. I don't know how it happened with Mephibosheth. I don't know how he began to figure it all out because I got to tell you, I got saved over 40 years ago and I'm still figuring some things out. But I want you to picture with me one day, they're sitting at the king's table and David reaches for something, perhaps the salt or, or some bread. And as his, as his sleeve comes back, Mephibosheth notices this scar on his wrist. And he said, that's got to be it. That's got to be the cut of the covenant. It's the reason why I'm here. I don't understand this. I don't deserve this goodness. And I didn't earn it. But I receive it. I receive it. Amen. Pass the bread and butter. That's where he is. And he says, I, I just want to be all in. I want to be all in. I don't want to be sitting here acting like I'm trusting David, but not really trusting him. I want to be all in. I want to just conclude today by talking about the securing of the covenant as we transition into the covenant of all covenants. When Jesus gathered his disciples at the Last Supper and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. You see, this covenant with David and Mephibosheth it's symbolic, and other covenants are, are preparatory to the one great eternal covenant that Jesus made. Jesus, the Messiah, cut a covenant in blood between holy God and sinful man. The blood of God and the blood of man were mingled on the cross. You say, how is that possible? Because Jesus was not a, a freak, half man and half God. He was not a ghost that just looked like a man but was an apparition. Jesus was as much God as if he were not man at all. He was as much man as if he were not God at all. Fully God and fully man. And when he went to the cross to absorb the wrath of God upon his person, there the blood of man and the blood of God were mingled and an atonement was made for our sins. King David in this story reminds us of the Lord Jesus and Mephibosheth should remind us of you and me, crippled by sin, and outside of the covenant blessings of God and the spiritual kingdom, fearful and spiritually dead because of the fall of Adam and Eve. That's who we are. And in the Old Testament and the New Testament, both testify of this. There is none that can do good, not even one. Now, I want to conclude with a couple of questions for you. How do you and I go, how does a person go from being a sinful outcast into the covenant of love permanently. And I want to emphasize the word permanently because I see a lot of people that are in and out of issues of faith and they're in and out of religion. And if the occasion calls for it, they'll act spiritual or they'll talk spiritual. But really, quite frankly, inside their soul, when God looks in their heart, he sees spiritual deadness because he has not yet come in to forgive them and occupy that place in his heart. So how do we go from that? Like Mephibosheth. He had to be bought by the covenant, and he had to be sought by the king, 
and he had to be brought by the king. That's how he got there. You see, Mephibosheth is such a great picture of us. He was crippled. He had no ability in and of himself to get into the covenant. But he did have to be willing to be brought into it. And that's where you and I today need to be willing to be brought permanently into this loving, graceful covenant that God gives. Let, friends, today, let God's covenant of love and grace take you from where you have been, a deceived, damaged, dead dog, desert outcast, dethroned from your heritage, to being a child of the king of eternity. And one other question. Just recently, I had someone ask me this. Does God really love me? Now, the unequivocal answer is yes, but the reason is surprising. I declare, I believe I've met some people, Herb, that think that God loves them because they're just pretty doggone lovely. But i got to tell you, that's not how God sees it. Don't believe your own press clippings in your Facebook posts, okay? God looks right into our heart, and he sees who we really are in light of a holy God. Can I tell you why God loves you? He loves you for Christ's sake, because of the covenant. He loves you for Christ's sake. Listen, God doesn't love us because we're valuable. We're valuable because God loves us, and he loves us for Christ's sake. And one other thing, please understand this as we, as we bring this right to a point. Do not mistake your mental understanding or acceptance that God loves you. Don't, don't mistake that for a relationship that's permanent and real and righteous. What I'm saying is, many of you, maybe even all of you say, well, I, I do believe God loves me. Don't stop there. You see, Mephibosheth could have been out there and said, hey, the king's decided to bring you in the covenant. He decided he loves you. You don't need to fear him. Mephibosheth said, good, that's so good to know. No, he needed to be willing to be brought all the way into the king's house. So don't make that mistake. Thanks for listening. You can find more sermons and other information at crosslifechurch.com.